You're listening to the Buildify Method Podcast, where we're all about mindset, systems, and profit. As a nationally recognized business consultant, coach, and speaker, your host, Aaron Keith, is passionate about supporting the entrepreneur community by sharing his knowledge gained from coaching over 10,000 entrepreneurs in nearly 20 years, companies ranging from billion-dollar enterprises and celebrities all the way to Main Street and small startups. Each Buildisode's blunt, no-bullshit conversation is led by Aaron along with his co-host, Ryan Coyne, a veteran tech consultant and nationally recognized speaker. Each week, Aaron and Ryan deconstruct mental and physical aspects of the topics that challenge all successful entrepreneurs, while also providing coaching, insight, and specific advice on distinctions that affect all growth-minded entrepreneurs. So listen up. It's time to work on your business, not just in your business. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Aaron Keith, and I want to welcome you to the Buildify Method podcast. I'm joined with my co-host, Ryan Coyne. Hi, everybody. Today, we have a very special episode that's around the topic, how to scale and retain your staff. To give you the very best content possible, we brought in an expert. This is Lance Winsaft. He is the president and managing partner of Aldebaran Recruiting. They're an executive recruiting and talent consultancy with nearly 20 years of experience building marketing and sales teams for a variety of companies around the country. Lance, welcome to the show. Guys, it's great to be here. Lance and I go way back. We've worked with celebrity clients together, some big companies down to very small startups together. So Lance and I are, are really used to uh, diving in on this topic. So we, we think you guys can be very excited. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the topics we have today are, are fun and I'm looking forward to diving into some of it. So Aaron and I have known for years that what you do is rather unique in your industry. Can you tell us a bit about what makes you special? Absolutely. You know, there's Recruiting firms aren't a new thing. There's been recruiting firms since the beginning of time, I think. And they range the gamut from good, bad, and everything in between. And for the most part, recruiting firms tend to act very much like a commodity. And that commodity is is a resume or it's a person attached to a resume. So what we do differently at Aldebaran is we position ourselves much more as a strategic partner to our clients. So we're not just coming in and showing you some resumes and wishing you good luck, which a lot of companies do, and that is what that is. But instead, we like to really position ourselves shoulder to shoulder with clients and dig in with their staffing needs, dig in what are the challenges that they're having with hiring, What are the challenges that they're having with planning, et cetera, et cetera, and really get in the weeds to impact how a company is going to scale? Because I think we know that, well, I think we all at some level know, I don't think we all run our businesses this way, but the people that work in our businesses and work for us and work with us are the key to our success and the key to our scaling. And that's where we like to position ourselves to be a partner. Mm. So I think Aaron and I would both agree that the biggest thing that we get from people is wondering how they can golden handcuff their star employees. Can you talk about that for us? Absolutely. And this is one of the biggest challenges that businesses face. And we, this is interesting because we see this on multiple sides of what we do. So we spend a lot of time talking with candidates about why they're interested in leaving their jobs. So just to give a little bit more context, 
when a company hires us, say, to fill a director of marketing position, it's a 98% chance that the person they end up hiring wasn't on the market looking. So that means they were working somewhere, they were relatively successful, relatively happy, and we came along and we sold them on a new opportunity. So we are finding out a lot, what has people motivated to leave? And I think that's an important part of your question, Ryan, because if you wanna know how to golden handcuff people and keep them, you gotta first deal with why do people leave? Right. Yeah, what I'd say too is one of the things I've noticed is when when you're dealing with some of these companies, I, I think you and I have gone back and forth working with some of our shared clients, and the landscape these days has really changed for hiring. You know, right now it's it's isn't it the employee has the the floor right now? Absolutely. So it's what we call a candidate driven market. Gotcha. So the candidates are the ones that are in control that are that hold the the leverage, so to speak. So it's really interesting, right? To most of the candidates we're representing, when we get to the offer stage, they've got two or even three, sometimes four competing offers. Wow. Good so yeah, right? <laughs> not for us. Yeah, exactly. Not for the client. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. But it's very, very challenging. Super competitive. Mm -hmm. So salaries are being driven up and candidates know this. Yeah. And so they... They know they have the leverage and they're they're playing that way. So then for us, the employer, uh, the person who's A, trying to retain the people we have, and then B, trying to bring in that the, the great talent that we're mm -hmm, looking for mm -hmm. here, it sounds like we also have to focus on the retention of our existing customer base or our, our staffing base and making sure that these, the staff is, is very happy. So what are some of the tools that you guys are using right now to help kind of golden handcuff those rock stars? Yeah. To some of the reasons people are leaving, we hear some of the more common themes. So let me say that first, because I think that once you know the problem, then you can go, how do we kind of plug this hole up a little bit, right? Yeah. So the number one reason people leave is they're not challenged anymore. They're bored in what they're doing, and they don't see more opportunity for their own professional growth. That doesn't necessarily mean promotions, although that's part of it. So they don't see a pathway to grow within their current company and they don't see enough challenge and future challenge to stay interested. Yeah. Number one reason we hear people are leaving. So on that note, for all of you listening, uh, something I would take a hard note of, and I'd love to hear Lance kind of say more about this. Um, from my experience working with clients, there's four main things a staff member needs to stay, and money being number four, actually. Um, it's that they feel like they're, they're part of something bigger, it, it, that they're, they're learning and growing and that they're making a difference. They're part of an organization that's actually making a difference. So when people feel like they're, they're learning and they're growing, they're making a difference and you know, they're, they're, they're expanding, those are some of the things that I've seen that really help people stay and then money shows up. Have you seen that? Completely agree, yes. And where we get lazy as managers is we don't sit down with our employees on a regular basis and find out which of those four things is their prime motivator and then make sure as managers and leaders that we're empowering whatever that is. Yeah. So I'd say something to kind of add to the golden handcuff uh, conversation is perks. You know, I'd love to see what you see about that as well being on the recruiting side, but as, as CEOs and entrepreneurs are coming to me and working with me about their existing staffing model, a lot of times we're looking at what perks can we add in? What benefits can we add in that are unique, such as, you know, the owner buys lunch for the staff. They start giving car allowances, 
Um, they have the massage people come in once a month. Like all these little extras start to really create a culture and an environment where people don't want to leave. They love the environment. It's not just their coworkers they love or the company that they love. It's, it's the experience of being at the company. Building that experience, I think, is, is critical. Would you agree? I completely agree with you. Yeah. And there was an article I even read recently that said most millennials would rather have an extra week of time off. I'm paraphrasing this, so that might not be, but like an extra week of time off instead of a five or $10,000 raise. So those perks like time off and et cetera, et cetera, are definitely critical. And companies like, you know, a while back, the t- big tech companies like Google and Facebook really set the kind of bar with, yeah. with those perks. And so you've got to have those right kind of perks just to compete. If someone's going to look at leaving their current job, this is sort of the other side of the, the, the hiring thing, but, or let's say it this way. If one of your employees was being potentially poached by a headhunter or another company, one of your competitors, and the other company was going to pay them the same you're paying them, but we're going to give them other perks already. Now they're enticeable. Right. Right. So you want to, you got to be at least apples to apples. Right. Otherwise you've got a hole in the ship there. Tangible perks too. Right. Because one of the things that I see when I'm talking to people is that, you know, not every, uh, especially youthful employee values things like health insurance the same way that uh, somebody who might be more progressed in their life would value that extra coverage or people with families. Um, and that may be seen as an intangible perk, just as an example. Yeah. Um, and being be sweetened in other ways. Um, and I wanted to mention one thing about the time off that you mentioned, Lance, because I, as a millennial myself, yes, I value that, but I would actually also amend that as guilt-free time off. Mm-hmm. Um, something that is really, really prevalent that I hear even with my peers is that they feel bad taking time yep. because they feel like they're hurting the business or somebody is not going to be able to pick up that slack and they're afraid to use their time off. It's, yeah. They're going to get judged because of it. Yep. Um, and a perk in and of itself can be just letting them know that it's fine to take the days that they have. Yeah, I agree. So listeners, everyone who's listening to this, uh, a system that you're wanting to build into your company uh, is definitely going to be that customer, sorry, that staffing experience. You know, we all need to have a staffing model so we know what positions exist in our organization. But along with that, What's the experience? Like, what's the culture that we're building here? And being able to bullet point out some of the perks, um, you know, some of the different experiences, they're going to be that X factor that's going to retain your staff. And, you know, don't feel like you have to be a genius and come up with this on your own. Ask your people, right? Don't, don't try to perceive what they, they want, especially when you have a wide uh, array of varying ages. Sit down and start to talk to your employees. Exactly. Yeah. Go beyond the, the masses of your employees too. like Aaron said, sit down with people, find out what drives them, what motivates them, find out what's not working for them within the organization, what's missing for them as managers and leaders and owners. We tend to sometimes want to avoid. So like avoid the bad stuff. But you want to dig in there because if you can find out where an employee might not be completely engaged or might not, there may be something missing from them. Being able to put that in for that employee, that's your golden handcuff. That's what's going to get them handcuffed. 
those things. You fill those holes in, they're just, you know, they can't leave because yeah. they got everything they want. So and what, so that's why one-on-ones are so important. So what are, what about things like profit? Like Ryan, I'm sure you hear this too, you know, with a lot of the clients that you work with on, on the IT side and the tech side, but you know, I, I, a lot of entrepreneurs come to me and like, Hey, I want to, I don't want to lose this employee. I really want to go and handcuff them. Should I give them like a chunk of the company or should I give them profit sharing? What's your view on that as a golden handcuff? Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that uh, almost all tech startups are doing really well right now with equity. And, and this is another one of those examples too of a perk that you've got to have if you're going to compete, particularly in the tech startup world. If you're a tech startup and you're not offering equity, 98% of your competitors are. So you're already way less desirable. But anyway... The important thing with any kind of equity package, whether it's profit sharing or it's options or it's just traditional stock or however you put it together, there's important that there's a vesting period with it because that vesting period is what's going to lock people in for some period of time. And when, when you have that vesting period coupled with the stuff that we've already talked about, it makes it so much easier for someone to stay for that four-year period or whatever period you create for vesting and then to stay even longer beyond that because of the Um, carrot yeah yeah yeah. i have a question about that though so for our listeners who might not understand the concept of vesting can you quickly explain that yeah it could be done so many different ways but essentially it's let's use profit share for example Mm -hmm. right or let's just use this as something super simple as equity like four percent ownership and let's say it's a private company so that's tied to some sort of valuation. Basically, the what a vesting period is a period of time that the employee has to wait until they can access that equity and the money tied to it. So maybe just completely making up numbers here, but say you give an employee 2,000 shares and those shares are now at the current company valuation worth $2,000. Obviously I'm making numbers up, but, and then over a five year period, there's a period that that employee has to wait where they can cash those shares in. And maybe halfway through that period, they could cash those shares in for half of what they're worth. Sometimes we see vesting like that where it's like a partial, but anyway, yeah, basically it would take an X amount of time, five years, 10 years, you get to make that up really, where at the end of that period, then that person has access to those funds, but they've got to wait that period of time. Excellent. Thank you for saying that. Mm -hmm. Um, I also wanted to mention that, especially in the tech sector, since that's the example that you forwarded and yes, I matriculate with those people and I've worked with some successful startups. I've worked with some that didn't work out. You know, the, the, the employees that are getting those opportunities are also smart cookies and they can tell if the product that the company is developing or getting ready to go to market with is something that has long-term viability. You know, they're all reading the same blogs. They're all reading the same, um, you know, industry material, you know, tech crunch and stuff like that. And understanding if this is something that's going to have vested value. So then you hear people talking about, you know, flexibility in, you know, what they're, Google obviously pioneered the mainstream consciousness of flexibility. 
right? right. Make your own hours. You want to have a ping pong tournament in the middle of the day. You want to have slides in the office that take you from one floor to the next, you know? Um, and they just made this, you know, a little bit of a playground environment. And obviously there are some owners who are not comfortable with that at all and are looking for rigidity and structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are some that want to have meetings in, you know, the bird's nest where, you know, you, you see companies that have these really funky meeting rooms and things like that. Um, so where do you see flexibility or mobility or working from outside the office or, you know, different things like that coming into play as a value add? The most important aspect of that that I would say is the, the work flexibility, like a remote flexibility, the ask for remote work is becoming more and more prevalent. Yeah. And I think there's still a decent amount of resistance around that mm-hmm. for a lot of employers for really obvious reasons. I mean, understandable reasons. I think too, just to kind of weigh in on this one too, I, we know more and more millennials and, and there's other, other people are wanting that for other reasons. They want to be with their family during the day or be able to see their kids more during the day. And I think something that employers can start to look at to help them become more comfortable with that part of the conversation is, do you have KPIs for this person? You know, does, does this, does this human being, this person, this position have very clear, measurable KPIs, key performance indicators that you're sitting down and measuring on a regular basis to know that that person is doing their job, regardless if they're in-house or out of house and they're working remotely. So that is, that is a control mechanism that you can put in place. It's not perfect, but it definitely will start to make a difference in that arena. Yeah, I agree. And certain positions lend themselves more to remote work. Like if you have, if you're in a software company and you have a sales staff, those people are probably traveling all the time. It's actually really annoying as a high performing salesperson to have to come into the office all the time when you're traveling a lot. Paying attention to where you can leverage remote work for good talent. That's a good first step. I also wanted to mention that the, the making somebody a department head or a committee head is something that you know Aaron and I have talked about having tremendous value. Um, in addition to equity in the company, you know, feeling responsibility or a sense of duty to subordinates themselves mm-hmm. um, can also be something that being thrust into the leadership role also is something that they'd feel like they'd be abandoning people that they've been grooming. So Lance, I'm not sure if that's something that you uh, have seen, you know, corroborated in what people offer or what people talk about in terms of value. Yeah, it's definitely one of the things that makes it more challenging for people to leave when they have a great team that they're working with. Um, The thing that I add to what you said, Ryan, is make sure that people have a, if, if you've got team members that are interested in leadership and management, they've got to have a pathway to that. And they need to be able to see that pathway and be working toward that because then they then have something engaged, engaging to follow. People love rank systems. That's one of the things that has the military rank system work. You know, when you put in a system, martial arts, uh, you know, anything that has a, a ranking system, people naturally want to rise in the ranks. And so the more that you can build that into your company, the, the, that tie, that golden handcuffs people more. Right. And Aaron, that speaks to your KPIs point, correct? It does. Yeah. And the, the KPIs, the even um, your reviews, you know, a lot of them, and we'll talk about this in another episode, but, you know, I see a lot of entrepreneurs, they don't do a lot of uh, reviews with their staff, unfortunately. I think it's a big, big, big missing because this is one of those opportunities Huge. to sit down with them and hear how they're doing, hear what's working for them, hear what's not working for them. And getting that feedback is critical because 
they feel humanized. They feel like they're part of something, not just a cog in your machine, right? It's your business. So being able to sit down with that, uh, that staff member on a regular basis, even quarterly, is, is something I recommend to a lot of my entrepreneurs, sitting down with them and debriefing. How's it going? How's, how's your team? You know, how's this? How's that? And it's the little things that matter. I've seen people give hugs because you bought someone a standing desk. I've, I've seen people go crazy because you got them a new keyboard because they hated their keyboard. You'd be shocked about some of the little things that no one's telling you that when they have that opportunity to voice, like, oh yeah, it'd be really nice if, and you do it, how appreciative they feel. So it's not always the big vacations and the time off and the trips. It's it's having that time where they're, your focus is on them, it goes miles. And I can tell you that most entrepreneurs that I've coached, and I've coached thousands, very few entrepreneurs do meetings and reviews very well with their staff. It's definitely an area for growth for most of us. Totally. And I think that I agree with you. It's a big mistake to, to not do that. I also have a strong gut that the reason most entrepreneurs, but not even just entrepreneurs, managers, department heads, wherever, don't do reviews is because they're concerned some way about looking bad or finding out something that's not making their team not happy. Right. When that's where all the gold is, mm -hmm. is finding that out. And I can't tell you how many times we've asked people, why do you want to, why, why are you interested in making a move? Man, I haven't had a review in, 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 in two years and I have no idea what's next for me. Right. Unless my, unless my boss quits, I, I don't know what's going to happen. So, you know, I need somewhere where I can grow. Yeah. So I think as a, as a very clear piece of coaching and takeaway for everybody is sit down and, and schedule out your reviews with all your staff mm -hmm. quarterly. Now we'll get into the details of this in, in another uh, podcast, but Make sure that once a quarter, you're sitting down with all your staff, you're hearing them out, you're telling them how much they matter to you. And then second bullet point is you have to show people the hierarchy of your company and how they can scale up. Give them that opportunity. Ask them that question. They need to know that you care where they move. And if they want to become a manager, they want to move into a different department, wonderful. Give them the tools, right? Give them that education. Remember we said... Learning and growing is one of the number one things that keeps people at an organization. So if you're showing them a pathway to go from where they are up into something that's a self-expression for them, they can make more money, um, they feel more used and more utilized, that is huge. And most entrepreneurs don't provide that conversation. Yeah. Psychologically, even though we all admire the person who accepts the fact that nothing in this life is given and you have to take or ask and you know, it's, it, there's a lot of people that are valuable, valuable, irreplaceable sometimes members of staffs that are not the extrovert outgoing person who's going to ask and who's going to call for their own meeting to be able to voice themselves. And they might leave and say to you, well, you never asked me. I never had an opportunity to sit and talk with you about it. And somebody else offered me this and that. And, and then you're sick and saying to yourself, well, if only I'd had a chance to talk to this person. So Aaron, you're absolutely right. Having those scheduled reviews and, and Lance, you know, to your point as well, you know, having these conversations and saying, this is where I see you, you know, down the line, these, this is your path. It makes sure that the people who otherwise wouldn't give themselves a voice is given an opportunity to voice that. Yeah. And in closing this topic, moving on to the next question, if anybody has a job application for the place that brings in the massage people once a month, I'd really like that application. <laughs> well, we actually do that. So, um, 
There you go. I'll there drop you a go. line. <laughs> I, I'd appreciate that very much. That's awesome. So I want to move to the, the hiring process itself. This is just an absolute mess for most entrepreneurs that I've spoken with and worked with. Even when I ran three small businesses simultaneously, my hiring process was definitely something that could not be regarded as the best or even the most professional. Um, I met one of my best employees that I ever hired at a music festival. Um, you know, for example, I mean, there's there. So I, I'm really curious about both of your input on the creation of a solid hiring process. And Lance, since you're the expert, I'd like you to speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest mistake that people make with hiring is they rush into it. And what I mean by that is they don't do enough of the prep work pre-organization. Like what? What would, what would be an example of that? So like, a job description seems like for you, your job description might be like self-explanatory. You might think you have a good idea about who you need, especially if you're hiring someone, you know, if you're replacing somebody who left or that you had a fire or something like that. We take the description and our experience of the description for granted. So doing the prep work to sit down and not just build a job description, but actually build an avatar of what human being you need and what job needs to get done is critical. You've got to build an avatar just like you do with your clients. You build a client avatar. You need to build an, an employee avatar for any specific position. Any lack of clarity at the beginning is going to be magnified as you move throughout the process. You'll continue to be unclear about that thing and you'll get, it'll compound and it snowballs throughout the interview process. And then that's why most companies end up doing one of two things. They go, wow, everybody we're interviewing isn't the right fit. Right. That's because you started on a false premise. Mm -hmm. Or wow, we hired, we keep hiring people and they suck. Yeah. Keep yeah. Again, you hired on a false premise. Right. And we don't take responsibility for that. Most business owners don't take responsibility for that. They yeah. go, wow, I made a bad hire. That person tricked us. Screw that person. No. Who hired them? You did. Yeah. <laughs> you did. Yeah, your interview process is supposed to ferret that out. That's your job. Right. You know? And I, I see I see a lot of people do this too. A lot of small business owners, especially as a company starts to scale, there's been some loyal employees. And it's, you know, we all want to be integrous and take very good care of our staff. And as a company is growing and scaling rapidly, we often find ourselves that this person who's been in this position, who we love, has done a wonderful job up to this point, is no longer a fit for the position. And mm -hmm. we feel bad. So our feelings kick in versus logic. And we start to, hey, I want to build a position around this person. I generally find that's a, a kind of a fail. You know, I'd rather hire a person for the position then create a position for a person and add more staffing load. It messes up the org chart. It's, it's just a bandaid. And ultimately we don't want to do the tough thing, which is either have that person get trained up or unfortunately they're no longer a fit. Yeah. Right. Lance, do you see a lot of people that are, as their company's growing and scaling, what they're trying to do is, is build a position around these people that they don't want to leave versus doing the tough work. Yeah, we do definitely see that. And we've been hired to replace a lot of those kind of people when, when that entrepreneur, that business owner finally does bite the bullet. Mm -hmm. And when they do hire that person, the right person for the role, it's a massive upgrade for them and their business. And it's like a breath of fresh air. And yeah, it was challenging to let, you know, Bobby go or Sally go or whatever, but 
the upgrade for getting the right person in the right seat pays off in dividends and it's just, it's like a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. So a few thoughts on this, you know, I, I try to look at the hiring process in a very methodical kind of checklist kind of way. So I'd love your feedback on some of the points. So, you know, we've never talked out this. So I'm yeah, actually yeah. curious real time here for you to coach yeah. me on my hiring process. So when I'm working with entrepreneurs, the process I usually tell them to is like you said, like build an avatar. We need mm -hmm. to actually know who this human being is going to be that we're going to find. The job description is paramount. Mm -hmm. You know, that job description needs to have a lot of detail. I find that a lot of entrepreneurs, when they're coming up with their job descriptions, it's like an ad. They think mm -hmm. their ad is their job description. It's not. The checklists, the detail, yeah. the, the KPIs, you know, those key performance indicators that this person's going to have to hit. You need all that thought out ahead of time. So when you're hiring someone, they can ask you questions about those KPIs and you can ferret out, can they actually do this? Do they have the skill set required? Yep. I think another thing too would be the disk profile or whatever kind of profiling mm -hmm. system you can do to get a, a better sense of how this human ticks and to see if, if their way of operating is a match to the avatar in that position. Is do we are they gonna match? Are they gonna line up? Totally. Well, just on those on those two things, with the with the job with the job description, you should have two versions of your job description to your to your point. One, that's the ad, because that can't be too overwhelming. Right. So it's like a, a dumbed down version. Mm -hmm. And the ad should always be clear. I always have the ad in four sections. The first section should be something quick about your company, your product, what you do, what's interesting or unique about you. The second and third sections can be in whatever order you want them. But one is the description of the job. What does it do? What does the person do? Mm -hmm. And then one's the qualified or the uh, required skills. What kind of skills and background does this person need? Mm, and then the fourth section should be something about compensation, what you offer. It should be called what we offer or why work here. Right. So it's a little bit more about the company, but it's more about here's our perks. Mm -hmm. You get this and that and da, 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 da. So those four sections are always critical to advertise the job. Okay. So Ryan, question for you is, you know, since you're the tech genius on, on, on the podcast here, um, when, when an entrepreneur is, is looking to put out their ad, what are some sites? What are some places that you recommend? Well, the really hot one right now um, for people just kind of testing the waters to see who's interested in their ability, pure ability, even if they're not looking for a position, mm -hmm. is Upwork. Um, Upwork has been a great way of where freelancers, well, somebody who's looking for a full-time gig might see who's interested in freelance and exploit an opportunity that a company is currently hiring freelancers, but maybe should be hiring them full-time instead. Gotcha. You know, it's like, man, we love this freelancer so much. Why don't you just come aboard? That actually happened to a good friend of mine who you also know um, that took a freelance gig and now got hired full time at a record label and yeah. a, a big one. Um, and beyond that, Indeed has been very popular for a long time. Uh, LinkedIn is still a wonderful, wonderful way to get discovered by people and having your profile updated is something that's become more important. Uh, LinkedIn were, you know, for a long time was viewed as a little bit of an also, um, or, you know, just professional Facebook, where if, if you if you weren't somebody who was already uh, what you would consider, you know, in the the corporate workforce, maybe it wasn't something that was important to you. That's kind of trickling down and um, has changed in where people who even aren't at that level yet, or might not think it's that important, typically, are now making sure that their profiles are more manicured. 
um, because of how aggressive recruiters have gone on, gotten on LinkedIn. Um, and just making sure that you've got it on as many places as possible is great, but making sure that you have everything grammatically correct. Um, there's, there's more and more hiring of resume services. Mm. Um, there's even a whole subreddit on Reddit, just r slash resumes, where there's an entire community of people who now are helping you prune these things uh, to make sure that everything is really perfect and that has been you know, edited down to the most relevant information. So Reddit's been a great source. You hear a mixture. A lot of people still like Monster. A lot of people like Career Builder. Um, Indeed's been a very hot one for a couple of years now. Um, and getting discovered, making sure that you've got your profiles up to date has still been one of the most tried and true. Gotcha. Lance, what about you? What do you see? So this opens up a whole other topic for me, which might be actually something good for us um, if you wanted to cover on a future episode, because it's something I could talk about in depth. But it's really the difference... From, from a hiring strategy, the difference of posting your job places, so all the places that, that Ryan talked about, and having a proactive headhunting strategy, those two ways of hiring attract two very different types of talent. Interesting. So posting your job places attracts active potential talent, people yeah. that are looking for a new job to some degree. Right. So they're going on Indeed, they're going on LinkedIn, they're looking for postings, so on and so forth. And that's a certain breed of talent. The other side of the coin is hunting passive talent. And that tends to be where you find the better talent. Most of the really amazing executives that I talk to on a regular basis, I know they're good when they tell me I haven't had a resume for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. I've gotten my last three, four jobs because this guy that I worked with was at this company or this recruiter approached me about a role. I wasn't even looking and it was perfect. He got me a conversation with the CEO and it was the perfect match. Right. right? So those people know they're hot and they know someone's going to come yeah. find them. So having a proactive headhunting strategy is the best way to get talent. You shouldn't avoid the job boards because you can scoop up some good people there. But if you were going to split up your strategy load, I'd say you want at least 80% of your strategy to be proactive headhunting gotcha. versus passive collecting. Okay. Yeah. I also have one more thing to add to that before we move on. Uh -huh. um, one thing I didn't mention was conventions or industry, like, you know, conferences and things like that. Because, um, for example, you know, DEF CON and Black Hat, which are two of the biggest security mm -hmm. conferences for, you know, technology and cybersecurity in the world. Um, both of them took place in Las Vegas this year. That's a, obviously a great city to attract a lot of people who want to travel from all over. They have the capacity and things like that. But what you get are these gigantic swaths of people who are either industry professionals or freelancers in the industry talking shop and showing off their abilities or talking about the things that they're working on. And then you've got everybody from, from the private sector to the public sector um, looking at who's interesting and who's making their mark. Right. Um, because for example, you know, Air Force Cyber Command and Homeland Security and the FBI and, and so on and so forth are all looking for talent in the cybersecurity field, just speaking from my own experience, yep, yep. and can't find it. 
as as readily as some other people maybe can, especially in the private sector, because of the things we've talked about earlier in this episode, from flexibility to you know remote work and different things like that. Um, but one of the reasons that we've had as a country so much difficulty with some of the other big nations in the world as far as a cyber threat, whether it's you know China, North Korea, Russia, the usual suspects, um, they'll if you want to have a purple mohawk and you know smoke cigarettes at your desk, they will let you do it. If that's what it takes to get your talent in there, right. you know, but they just want the best period versus being able to pass a background check with flying colors and so on and so forth. So, you know, uh, being being in that mix at those conferences is really, really a wonderful way, um, even as re- from a recruiting standpoint, to be meeting people who aren't happy and, and maybe are talking about it loudly or that are happy but are open to opportunities and what excites them, because, again, the things we spoke about earlier in terms of wanting a challenge, wanting a chance for advancement, and you know, wanting those other flexibility perks. So to, to kind of bring it back to this, so we talked about the first part. So you know, one of the things I was talking about is the disk profiles. Yes. So once you've kind of gotten through the searching part and you have someone that you're now interacting with, what's your view on disk profiles and, and profiles of that nature? Yeah, the personality profiles, which I like disk a lot, I think are really, really useful and should guide you. In, in your hiring, with your hiring, uh, where I see mistakes sometimes is where companies put too much weight on them. We had a client once that if the person didn't get a certain score on the personality thing, they were out of the process. Wow. Like it was pass fail. Wow. And the hiring managers hated it. It was a company policy and the hiring managers hated it because they would love people they would meet. Right. And they didn't do the assessment till like the end. Oh. So they'd fall in love with these people and then they'd fail and there's nothing they could do about it. And they were always so bummed out. So don't do that. <laughs> so keep talking to us. What do you think is a, a good hiring process? So keep walking us through how you, yeah. how you coach clients through this part. So the, the description's a really key part. And so building that avatar is the first thing. And then the second thing, your interview process needs to both allow for you to gauge the person's fit, which should include the disc assessment, should include the best process is once you have an applicant, you can choose for your first step of your process to be an in-person interview or a phone or video interview. Gotcha. I would start to even get away from doing things on the phone. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to bring someone in right away, do a video interview with them if they can. Okay. You know, shoot for that. Some, if you're hunting passive talent, they might be working. And so they might not have the flexibility to do a video interview sure. with you, which is fine. And what's the benefit of that? Well, right away you get to look at the person's face, mm-hmm. you know, so there's the first conversation should be a short conversation that feels out. Do you like this human being? Mm-hmm. You know, it's an initial gut check conversation. I mean, you know, check off a couple boxes of the job description. Do they have some of the basic skills, basic requirements, but the first conversation should really be a gut check. Hmm. I gotcha. wouldn't have those first steps be super long or super formal, very much of a gut check. And sometimes that's better to do on the phone or over video. Yeah. Because sometimes you tell right away, it's not good. And now what, you got to spend an hour with this person in your office or kick them out, you know, <laughs> you know so it gets, it's easier to get off the phone with somebody. And I agree. Actually, I, I recommend similar. I recommend usually like a 30 minute phone. I, I actually yep. really like the video. I did not think about the video idea. And I, I recommend the same thing is in that 30 minutes or so, I try to keep mine 30 minutes or less. Mm-hmm, I agree. It's that X factor. It's kind of like going on that first date. There's, there's chemistry. You're looking yep. for that chemistry. You know, how well do they interact with you? How's the banter? How are they carrying the conversation? And I, I definitely see your point with the videos. You'll be able to see mannerisms and eye yep. contact. And 
you know, I, I know there's different statistics out there, but somewhere around 50 plus percent of communications nonverbal. So right, exactly. That. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so then, then what happens? So then, then you want to move, your interview process should move to be more technical. So this, the second interview should be in person, if whenever possible, to meet with you and your team and to dive into more of their experience. So the biggest mistake that hiring managers make when they start to get into technical and hard skills is they lead the witness with their interview questions. Hmm. So they say things like, so do you have a lot of experience uh, managing PPC campaigns? Yeah, I do. <laughs> That'd be a yes, of right? course, sir. So, you know, that gets you kicked out of court or, or you're a bad lawyer. I don't know anything. I don't know. But the analogy breaks down for me at that point. Yeah. But <laughs> that's a quick, a good way to hear everything you want to hear, right? You need to be finding out what the heck does this person do? Great. So look, this role is going to be involved in a lot of different aspects of our marketing. Tell me what you do now on a day-to-day basis, period. Yeah, I love it. And it, 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 it evokes a few things because one, you then start to get a sense of their ability to explain what they do and articulate thoughts and articulate, et cetera. And you then get a bird's eye view into what they're actually doing. Yeah. And then you get to say, does that fit what I need? So asking questions like this or asking, asking examples. Okay. So for example, if you were going to run our pay-per-click campaign, a new pay-per-click campaign for this new product, tell me what your 30, 60, 90 day plan would be. Beautiful. And then you get their, hear their thinking. Right. So that second interview should be around hard skills. People who make it to round three, round three, you can sometimes mix this with round two, but I recommend it being around three is some sort of actual testing of their skills. Like a working interview of some kind? But don't call it a working interview. Okay. Because you technically have to pay people for a working working interview, interview. right? So just don't call it that. Sure. (laughs) And don't have them do work so you don't get caught up with any of that. So have it be something made up, right? Sure. But it could be something like building a plan out. It could be something like pitching. It, uh, if it's a salesperson pitching a sale, whatever is relevant, technical roles. Um, Ryan, you might be able to speak to this. You know, a lot of the developers and engineers, I know there's coding tests and things like that, um, which can, that's real cut and dry. Does the person right. have the technical expertise or not? When you get into sales and marketing, it's a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. There's standard ones and then there's murky ones like Google mm-hmm. famous this really, really heinous uh, question process where they ask you questions that have nothing to do at all with what you're actually going to be doing. And they just gauge you on how you're going to answer those questions. It's like you encounter a duck in the road. It doesn't seem injured, but you know, things like that. (laughs) Um, And you have to see, you know, people talk online like, oh my God, what were your questions? And they never ask the same question twice and people sweat it and plan. And then there are more traditional things like how would you solve for this issue or, you know, talk me through what you would do encountering this kind of a bug and so on and so forth. Yeah. Right. So when I'm, when I'm working with a lot of my entrepreneurs and I'm having this process built out, you know, this is going to be a little bit of OCD here, but with my, uh, with one of my companies I have now, we have an admin folder in that admin folder. I have the job descriptions and the ads of all of the different positions in my org chart. So what I've done next is I've actually written out very specific hiring questions that are tailored to each one of those positions. So if I'm interviewing, say a doctor, 
I can pull out the doctor interview questions, which yep. is different than the, the office manager interview questions. And I've just found that a lot of entrepreneurs, they're asking everyone very similar questions versus breaking these things out very specifically for the job role and then testing that over time and, and constantly be updating your interview questions. Yeah, that's so good. And the other benefit to that is when you start to scale as an organization, you'll have the opposite problem because you'll have multiple hiring managers all doing their own thing and there's no consistency across the organization. That makes sense. And, and then, you know, then you can't tell why does Bob's team killing it, but Sally's team's not or vice versa. How are they hiring? You know, then it's all the whole system breaks down. It all breaks down. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's not scalable. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really great point. So what else, what other part of your, your hiring process or anything else that's missing in here that you would put in? So I would include the personality piece with the testing piece. That's good to do all together. And if you can get it in with that third interview or as a final step, try to meet with the person offsite, lunch, cafe, or work it in somewhere in the process Mm -hmm. because you want to, people are on their best behavior when they interview. Right. And they put on a little bit of a show. And that's when you're interviewing in your office, that's an environment conducive to putting on that show. You want to get someone in a more relaxed setting to really feel them out. So you want to get that gut check about, you know, I mean, things like how do they interact with a waiter? Yeah. How do, you know, does there think weird little things like how do they eat? You know, I mean, just, you don't want to put too much stock in that stuff, but it points to something. Yeah, exactly. And it'll tell you, it'll tell you more about the culture piece and it'll tell you more about the personality piece of that person's really going to get a fit in. And you can do that with a couple team members. You want to involve your team in hiring yeah. as much as possible. Yeah. Makes sense. And, and so I'd say just, uh, kind of in closing here that, Oh, every- there's one more really important oh, yeah, thing. Please go ahead. And this is a big mistake that a lot of hiring managers make is they wait till the end of their interview process to deal with money. Oh, you want to deal with money up front. Give us an example. So your part of your initial gut check interview should have, if not on that interview, for sure, the second one, but I think it should be in the first one should have something about great. Look, I know we're early on here. What would make sense for you though? from a compensation perspective, what are your compensation expectations? I want to make sure we're in the same ballpark. I like that. I don't want to go through this whole process with you and find out we have a $50,000 differential six weeks from now. Yeah. And I got to start over. So when you deal with that first and then touch on that throughout your process, Mm. third interview, Hey, good. I wanted to go over some things with you. When we first talked, you mentioned your compensation expectation was X, Y, Z. Look, I don't want to put the cart before the horse here, but Things are going well. We're on our third date and so on. So I just want to check in with you about this. You know, is this still what you're thinking? So that's important to basically you want to, when you get to the stage of making an offer, it should already have been negotiated. Gotcha. And there's a little bit more tweaking to do and it's a done deal. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. So to kind of wrap this up and to give everyone some very clear homework and uh, some very clear coaching here. Everybody, you guys should be writing down and documenting your hiring process. Lance did a very beautiful job of laying out all the parts and pieces and the systems and the processes and the documents that need to exist. So do yourself a favor, schedule some time, sit down and start getting your your hiring process dialed in, get your onboarding process dialed in, 
and uh, you know, ask other entrepreneurs. You know, this is a, a really great community here. So find some other entrepreneurs, ask them what questions they're using, you know, see what job description they're using and start asking your community and start to compile what you feel is a really effective process for you. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Buildify Method podcast. Special thanks to Lance Winsaft of Aldebaran Recruiting for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. It'll help other like-minded entrepreneurs benefit from the community we're building.